0: Excited tonight to speak to you on the topic of Shalom bayis. Um and, and I think Shalom bayis, in general, what we'll call, we'll translate loosely as marital harmony, is always an incredibly important topic. But I think, and I'll tell you just this as my perspective as a Rav here in a, in a Baruch Hashem, in a large Jewish community, that I think it's amazing that we're coming up on a year, almost a year since the pandemic has begun. And from what I understand, you know, Certainly your communities in California are having even a dramatically different experience than we are over here in Maryland as well. And it's hard to it's really hard to imagine that we're coming up on a year because I know at least personally when things really began to kind of build up around current time of last year. You know, I think for many of us, I figured, okay, Purim, it'll be done by Pesach. Pesach, it'll be done by Shavuos. Shavuos, it'll be done by the summer. Okay, summer by the time school starts September. Yomim, no, Raim. And we kind of keep moving the bar a little bit at a time. And again, we're coming up on a year. And it's amazing to see over the course of that year how much our lives have changed. In fact, one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about is when we finish this, whatever the finish line looks like, You know, what will go back to normal versus how will we create new normals? But I think one of the things that I've observed also is that one of the dramatic impacts of the pandemic has been on the nature and fabric of marriage, and not just marriage, but on family life. And there's an obvious reason for that. It's because many of us have been spending much more time at home over the course of the last year than perhaps we have... You know, in all of the years leading up to this, I know on on a personal level, you know, again, as much as I have an office at my shul when we were shut down during the pandemic for a good number of weeks, I was home, home in the morning, home in the afternoon, home in the evening, again, which represents incredible opportunities, incredible opportunities for bonding with children, incredible opportunities for bonding with a spouse. But I think what it also does is something else, you know, the hallmark of almost every single relationship is the stuff you don't talk about. The stuff you don't talk about. The problems you don't deal with. I know they're there, I know they're present, but you know, Kaddish Baruch who gave us this incredible ability. It's called in the world of psychology, cognitive dissonance, where I could literally detach from actual reality and create my own brand new reality. And so very often our relationships have challenges because every relationship has challenges, but often we are not forced to confront it because we're able to hide behind a lot of things. So if I have a demanding career, often I could hide behind my career. I have hobbies. I could hide behind my hobbies. And when things kind of heat up or get a little bit too tense in my marriage, there's often an escape. I think what's amazing is that with the advent of the pandemic, so many of those things that in the past we may have utilized as an escape. So, so so an escape that I don't have to confront the relationship issue, the marriage issue. Those escapes are gone. What do you do when you're working from home? What do you do when suddenly, again, the hobbies that you used to spend hours with are no longer really available to you. What do you do when suddenly you're spending Baruch Hashem many, many hours under the same roof as your bashert? And suddenly again, all of those issues that really have been present for so many years, but that I have avoided confronting, are now really staring me in the face. So I will tell you just from my perspective, and again, only seeing, you know, one Kehillah, one shul in one community, I've seen an incredible number of what I'll call Shalom bias related issues. Now, issues doesn't have to mean problems. Issues just means challenges. There is an opportunity here in the midst of this pandemic to grapple with our relationships and to really struggle in a healthy way with our relationships in ways that we never had to do before because we had all of our various escapes. But now, again, like I mentioned before, now that those escapes are no longer here, we have to confront. And so I think... You know, one of the things, and then I'll just, one more word of introduction, then we'll delve in a little bit more into the chomer, into some of the substance. You know, I, I was giving a, a talk to my kahila, uh, about probably about a month or two ago. Actually, it might have been even longer. Maybe it was even by Yamim Nora and by the High Holidays. And I was mentioning the fact that there's a part of me that has an incredible amount of fear when the pandemic ends. You'll say to yourself, that's crazy. Everybody's looking forward to the end of the pandemic. You know, we are experiencing a seismic shift in the world. And whenever there's a dramatic shift in the world, there has to be a dramatic shift in our lives. And I was speaking about the idea that part of me is scared that the pandemic will end, the world will have changed, but I will have still remained the same. That the pandemic, these circumstances that we are living through now, where life as we know it has come to a grinding halt and so many things will be different going forward, it forces us to ask ourselves, how do we want to be different going forward? How do we want to structure our lives to be better, to be more meaningful going forward? And I guess for tonight, our focus is, how do we want to structure our marriages to be stronger, to be better, to be more vibrant going forward? So I'd like to begin by I think dispelling a very common myth, you know, when we speak about shalom bayis, if you ask people to define shalom bayis, okay, so literally it means peace in the home, peace in you know, shalom bayis. But it's interesting because shalom bias means a variety of that people translate as marital bliss, marital beautiful marital bliss. We should all be so We should all be privileged to have marital bliss. But I think very often what people trans or how people translate shalom bayis. Is the absence of conflict Shalom bias means it's almost sometimes you you could define something not by what it is but by what it's not. So what is shalom bias? Shalom bias is the absence of conflict now that sounds like a pretty good definition. conflict we know if you just look it up in the dictionary, a serious disagreement or argument typically. A protracted one. So, if you could create for yourself a marriage that is free from conflict, that is shalom bias. There's only one problem with this definition. Every single marriage has conflict. Every marriage. In fact, again, don't think it's just you or you or or me. Every single marriage from the beginning of time has had conflict. You know, the book of Bereshus is filled with stories. And the commentaries of the Mafarshim struggle to understand why is told of the story? The Torah is not a storybook. The Torah is a book of laws. The Torah is a book of morality, of ideas and ideals. And any piece of information, including a story which is included in the Torah, is only included because of its moral, ethical, or legal implications. So I'll give you an example. We look at the story of Adam and Chava, the first husband and wife. First husband and wife. So the Torah tells us something amazing. If you're following along on the source sheets, again, if you don't want to look in the source sheets, okay, we're going to do everything outside as well. But if you happen to see in the source sheets, the Torah says that Adam and Chava have a third son. Their third son is Sheis, and the Torah says, why Sheis? For Hashem has given me another child, Zerah Acher, Tach We know the story of Kain and Hevel. Cain killed his brother Hevel. And then Adam, Adam and Chava have a third son, Sheis. They named him Sheis because God has given us another son. We lost one son. Hashem has given us another son. And you know, Rashi says something amazing. Rashi says that Adam and Chava were separated from one another for 130 years. You want to talk about a little bit of a fallout in a marriage. Adam and Chava were separated from each other physically separated from each other for 130 years. The first marriage, not just the first marriage ever recorded in the Torah, the first marriage of mankind has some level of conflict. Now, Now, why did they separate? What was the source of the conflict? It could have been a variety of different things. Grief, you know, not every marriage could sustain grief. And sometimes the loss of a child could sometimes bring a couple closer together. Sometimes it drives them apart. But whatever it was, whether it was grief or there was something else, Adam and Chava experienced conflict. They experienced discord. They separated for 130 years. And it's not just Adam and Chava. Avram and Sarah. Avram and Sarah encountered dramatic conflict where Sarah tells Avram Avinu, Garish es ben ha'ama hazos. Remember, we know the story. Sarah Imenu was barren for many years. She tells Avram to go ahead and marry Hagar. Avram marries Hagar, has a son with Hagar, a young man, a boy by the name of Yishmael. Then Sarah becomes pregnant, has Yitzchak, and Sarah tells Avram, you have to expel Yishmael from the home. You have to expel him from the home. And Avram Avinu is very resistant. Avram Avinu does does not want to. And logically, we understand why does Avram Avinu want to? Avram Avinu's whole tachlis, his whole purpose in this world was to bring people closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Avram says to Sarah, I'm walking around, I'm traveling around, I'm the roaming scholar in residence going to every single city and every single place preaching the word of God. And now you want me to expel my own son from my home? There's conflict. There's conflict. Avram doesn't want to expel Yishmael and Sarah wants to expel Yishmael. The conflict, by the way, is so intense that who has to intervene? HaKadosh Baruch The God himself, the King of Kings, has to intervene and he says to Bekola. Whatever Saru Imenu tells you, you have to listen. So you know, by the way, that conflict is intense when God himself has to intervene. Right? Avram and Sarah apparently were unable to work this out. They were unable to come to a meeting of the minds on their own. God has to intervene, and God has to actively tell Avram, you must listen to Sarah. Avram and Sarah are like the first couple of the Jewish people, right? They're the father and mother of Am Yisra. There's conflict in their marriage. Yitzhak and Rivka. The Torah tells us, Yitzchak es <laughs> The Rivka Oheves S. Yaakov. Something amazing occurs. So the Torah says Yitzchak loved Esav literally because he put game in his mouth. Which just the simple reading is that Esav provided food for Yaakov and Rivka loved, excuse me, Esav provided food for Yitzchak and Rivka loved Yaakov. There's a disconnect. There's discord. There's not seeing eye to eye. See if Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak in Rivka, and we find it by Yaakov and Rachel as well, in a very dramatic exchange. So Rachel says to Yaakov, this is source number five on your sheet, Rachel saw that her sister Leah had given birth, and she turns to her, she tells she tells Yaakov, Give me children, and if you don't give me children, me I'm as good as dead. A very dramatic statement. If you don't give me children, it's like I have no life. And what does Yaakov say to Rachel? (inaudible) Yaakov gets angry at Rachel. (inaudible) Vayomer, he says to her, Am I God? (inaudible) You think I'm God? Am I the one who has withheld the fruit from you, the fruit of your womb from you? (inaudible) Yaakov gets angry. Now it happens to me, the Gemara says, Chazal take Yaakov Avinu to task for talking to his wife that way. The Gemara says, is that the way you speak to a woman struggling with infertility? So the rabbis take Yaakov Avinu to task for, for his sharp retort. But again, I want to point out to you, discord. I want to point out to you, conflict. So Adam and Chava conflict. Avram and Sarah, conflict. Yitzchak and Rivka, conflict. Yaakov and Rachel, conflict. So what am I? what's the point that the Torah is trying to make to us? That conflict is part of marriage. Conflict is part of marriage. I'll tell you an amazing story. A number of years ago, I got a call from a young woman who was in the middle of Sheva Baruch Hashem, She had just gotten married. This was a young woman that I knew for, for years as she grew up. She got, we got married. It's probably two or three days after wedding in Shabrachos. She calls you. She says, Rabbi Silber, I have to come meet with you. My husband and I have to come meet with you. I said, of course. What's going on? And she begins to talk on the phone. And she begins to sob. Sob. But, you know, the kind of sobbing where you can't even get a word out, you know, and you can't even catch your breath. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. So I said to you know, take a few moments, or if you want to call me back, take a few moments, compose yourself, and just tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. The young lady composed herself. And when she was finally able to say, she said, we had a fight. We had a fight. We had a fight. Okay, and I'm ready for the rest of the sentence. Yeah, we, ha- we had a fight and what? What, 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 what happened? What's, what's, what's the problem? What, what, what did you fight about? She didn't even get to that. She was totally demoralized and overwhelmed by the fact that she had a disagreement with her husband. And it struck me in that moment that what was unfolding over here was something incredibly dramatic. You see, this young woman, this young woman, either through her education or through her or whatever it might be, walked into marriage with a conception that's what's Shalom Bayis? Shalom Bayis is... We don't disagree. Shalom bias is, we don't fight. Shalom bias is, there is no conflict. Well, if that's your definition of shalom bias, what marriage could possibly measure up to that standard? Not Adam and Chava, not Avram and Sora, not Yitzchak and Rivka, not Yaakov and Rachel. Remember, the Torah is not trying to air people's dirty marital laundry. Right? The Torah is trying to give us a conception of marriage that conflict is part and parcel of the fabric of marriage. You know, we're all familiar with the Gemara in the beginning of Maseche Sota, where the Gemara says, It is as hard for God to make one, to make one shidduch, to make one match, like it is to split the Red Sea. And there's a commentary on the side of the Gemara called the Tos Shans. The Gemara says, Adam Yochid Ve'isha Yechida. Man is an individual, woman is an individual, and Hashem brings them together. Conflict is part and parcel of marriage because no matter how much you love your spouse, you're two different people. You're two different people. So it is crazy to think you are going to see eye to eye on every single issue. It's crazy to think that you're going to have a meeting of the minds on how to address every single challenge. I would venture to say that when you look throughout the Torah, there is no greater power couple than Avram and Sarah. Avram and Sarah were a power couple. There was no Avram without a Sarah, and there was no Sarah without Avram. Rabbi Soloveitchik points out, he says something amazing. He says, after the death of Sarah Imenu, what does Avram Avinu accomplish? What does he go on to do? And the answer is nothing. The only thing that happens after Sarah Imenu passes away is that Avram finds a wife for Yitzchak. That's it. The dynamic activity of Avram Avinu ends when Sarah Imenu dies. And that's because they had a synergistic partnership. Avram could only be Avram with Sarah, and Sarah could only be Sarah with Avram. They were a beautiful, loving, harmonious unit. They were partners in the fullest sense, yet they still had conflict. So I think this is an incredibly important important point, because often we assume that conflict is a sign of marital dysfunction. That, if we really had Shalom bias, we should be on the same page, we should be everything should be harmonious, and there should be no level of conflict or discord. but I want to point out that that is untrue it 's unequivocally false by definition; conflict is part of every single marriage. well, if that 's the case, then what real shalom bias is. Figuring out how to properly manage conflict. So I want to share with you a couple of insights as to what it takes, I I think. I want to be clear. I'm not an expert on on marriage or on shalom bayis. You can ask my wife. Baruch Hashem. I've been happily married with a beautiful mishpacha for close to 25 years, but I've come to learn that every day I learn something new and every different tekufa, every different... kind of chapter of life brings new understanding and new awareness. So I'm sharing with you thoughts that I have and and insights that I think are correct. But of course, again, I want to be clear and kind of put out the disclaimer that I don't claim to, to be the guru. I'm just giving you my thoughts, my approaches, and my strategies. So now that I accept the premise that discord or what we'll call conflict is part and parcel of the fabric of marriage, I have to now figure out how to manage it. So I want to share with you something amazing, a couple of different approaches to managing marital conflict. So there is an incredible book that's titled The Gift of Therapy, a great book. It's a a must read. The Gift of Therapy was written by Dr. Irving David Yalom. He is an 87 year old Jewish American existential psychiatrist who is an emeritus professor at, of, psych, of psychiatry at Stanford University. So Dr. Yalom writes the following story. I'm going to quote to you the story. You don't have it on your story sheet. I'm going to quote it to you. Listen to what he writes. Dr. Yalom, decades ago, I saw a patient with breast cancer who had throughout adolescence been locked in a long, bitter struggle with her naysaying father. Yearning for some form of reconciliation for a new fresh beginning to their relationship, she looked forward to her father driving her to college, a time when she would be alone with him for several hours. But the long anticipated trip proved a disaster. Her father behaved true to form by grousing at length about the ugly garbage littered creek by the side of the road. She, on the other hand, So saw no litter whatsoever in the beautiful, rustic, unspoiled stream. She could find no way to respond and eventually lapsing into silence, they spent the remainder of the trip looking away from each other. Many years later, she made the same trip alone and was astonished to note that there were two streams, one on each side of the road, This time, I was the driver, she said sadly, and the stream I saw through my window on the driver's side was just as ugly and polluted as my father had described it. But by the time she had learned to look out her father's window, it was too late. Her father was dead and buried. Dr. Yalom continues, look out the other's window try to see the world, he's talking now to therapists, try to see the world as your patient sees it. The woman who told me this story died a short time later of breast cancer, and I regret that I cannot tell her how useful her story has been over the years to me, my students, and my patients. Just one more paragraph. A happy life is one in which I can accept that me and my spouse look at the world from two distinct windows and thus see two different things. I cannot hope or expect that my spouse will start seeing the world through my window. What we must strive for is to respect the fact that other people see the world through other windows and try to listen and empathize with what they are seeing and experiencing, even if it is not what I am seeing and experiencing. The blessings and depth of a relationship can only emerge when each side learns how to truly listen to and respect the point of view of the other. I may not see things the way you do, but I must be able to honor your truth. Marriages and so many other close relationships fall apart when one party feels he or she professes the exclusive objective truth. Truth in marriage is usually subjective. And I thought that this is such an incredible piece because this metaphor of seeing life through the other's window, right? Here, this young woman driving with her father to college thought that her father was just an old, angry, grumpy, caustic, acidic individual. And meanwhile, she saw that they were just looking at two different streams. So much of successful marriage requires me to understand. I look through one window, and my wife looks at the world through a different window. And she has her window, I have my window. My job is not to get her to look through my window, and her job is not to get me to look through her window. But instead, our mutual job is to respect. I respect her point of view, and she respects my point of view. I respect the fact that she sees the world in one way. And she respects the fact that I see the world in a different way. In fact, I'll show you something amazing. Going back to the example we gave before. Going back to the example we gave before. So remember again, Avram and Sarah have the conflict about Yishma. Sarah says, kick him out. Avram says, I can't. So remember, when God intervenes, what does God say to Avram? Listen to the words. asher tomar Sarah, Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. It's interesting. God could have just said, "Avram, kick Yishmael out. Done. Gamarnu. Let's 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 move on. Right? So you, don't to, you don't even. Avram, you need to get rid of Yishmael because it's the only way to raise a Yitzchak. But that's not what God says. God says to Avram, you need to listen to what Sarah is saying. What God was telling Avram Avinu was, you see things through your window. She sees things through her window. You have to try to understand her vision through her window. Shema Bekola, listen to what she is saying and try to understand her perspective. Because you know, in marriage, while everybody's entitled to their perspective, at some point in time, sometimes someone's perspective has to quote unquote win out or carry the day. So not everybody can always be right all of the time, or not everybody's point of view can be acted upon all of the time. What Hashem was telling Avram Avinu was, you're only seeing this through your lens, but you have to learn to hear what Sarah is saying. You have to try to see these circumstances through her window. And I think that this is such an incredibly important concept when it comes to managing conflict in a marriage. So many times when there is, I'll call it, you know, unrestrained conflict or there is just over the top conflict, it's because often one spouse becomes so convinced that they are correct and they lend no legitimacy to the point of view of the other. You know, anyone who ever has to engage in some level of collaboration knows. You may think the other person is wrong, but at the end of the day, if you want to build a relationship, you have to be able to hear what it is that they're saying. So so often we get caught up in our narrative, in our vision, in our window. There's one way and there's one way only. Everyone else is crazy, out of their mind, nonsensical. Well, if that's the approach to marriage, then ultimately, again, there's no partnership. But if I cultivate the ability and I accept the reality that no matter how much I love my spouse and you could have the most beautiful and wonderful and fulfilling and passionate relationship, no two people see the world in the same way. No two people see a particular event in the same way. And just because you don't see something the same way as your spouse doesn't mean you don't have a beautiful marriage. It just means, like I mentioned the Tulsa Shans before, Adam Yachid, the Isha Yechidah. Each of us are individuals. Each of us have our own vision, and each of us have our own window. And blissful marriage, shalom Bayis marriage, is where I appreciate and I celebrate the fact that I have my window and my wife has her window. Her job is not to get me to see it out of only, solely from her window. My job is not to get her to look solely through my window. But our collective mission in creating Shalom Bayez is to accept, appreciate, and celebrate the different perspectives we each bring to this marriage. You know, there's a beautiful Gemara. This I did put on the sheet. The Gemara says, there's a Gemara in in Vav Metzion. One of my favorite Gemaras in speaking on the topic of Shalom Bayez. The Gemara says, People say, If your wife is short, bend down and whisper to her. <laughs> if your wife is short, bend down and whisper to her. What, 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 what were the rabbis trying to teach us? So it's incredible. You know, if my wife is short and I want to tell her something, I could say, listen, you know what? Get up on a chair because I want to tell you something. Chazal said, no, that's not the way to build a shalom b'ayas marriage. If you want shalom b'ayas, meet your spouse where he or she is. Understand where they're coming from. So if your wife is short, don't ask her to get up on a chair so that she could look at you eye level. You bend down to her. You see ultimately again where she's coming from. You try to appreciate her perspective. Look at life through her window and appreciate the fact that she has her own perspective. So often problems in marriage come up because one spouse can't accept the fact that the other spouse has a different point of view, has a different perspective. And I just can't wrap my head around where you're coming from. And that's often because I haven't taken the time to truly understand the window through which you see the world, the window through which you see life. But if I take the time to really understand the window you're looking through, then first of all, I get a better understanding of you. And if I understand your perspective, I understand where you're coming from, then we could figure out together how to navigate the sometimes tumultuous waters of marriage. You know, and I think this is especially acute presently. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. You know, it used to be. I remember when we first started Zoom show in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody always had their cameras on. Everybody always had their cameras on, right? Because remember, when the pandemic first started, everything was shut down. So Zoom was pretty much the only outlet for socialization. It's interesting. Now the trend is most people, as you can see on the show, have their cameras off. So I am this because I don't know the demographic of people who are on this year tonight, how many, how many have been married for a while or how many, or maybe if there are newlyweds who are joining us tonight, but I've come to find that interestingly enough, especially in the current shidduch milieu, where very often people are getting married after really knowing each other for a rel- relatively short amount of time. Again, it, 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 it has pluses. But it also has a lot of minuses. And a lot of times of people get married and they realize, you know, I don't actually know the person who I married. I I, I love them. I think they're wonderful, but I, I don't know them. I don't know them. And how important and even people who knew each other, you know, dated a little bit longer, or knew each other, you know, sometimes you, you get into a rhythm with someone and then something happens, you can step back, you say, you know what, I thought I knew you, but I don't, maybe I don't know you as well as I thought I knew you. And that's okay. Because first of all, we change. See, even if you knew your spouse 25 years ago, we change over time. My spouse might know the old me, maybe she doesn't know the new me, which is why we always have to take time to acquaint and reacquaint and get to know and get to know over and over and over because if I don't understand you, then I don't don't understand the window through which you see the world. And if I don't understand the window through which you see the world, then there's gonna be no way for us to manage our conflict. So point number one is conflict is part of the fabric of marriage. Point number two is that Shalom Bayez demands that we manage the conflict. How do we manage the conflict? So first approach to managing conflict is get to know the window through which your spouse sees the world. Understand who you're married to and understand what makes him or her tick understand their life experiences you know we are a composite of our life experiences and so many of us carry around emotional baggage that often we may be totally unaware of but if you don't understand the window through which your spouse looks at the world if you're always asking your spouse to stand on the stool to get up to you instead of bending down to speak to him or her if you don't take the time to appreciate the perspective the eyes the window through which your spouse sees the world that's when conflict gets out of hand. Second way to manage conflict. It's number seven on your sheet, an incredible Pasuk. You're going to see this, puzzle, you're going to think to yourself, what is it doing in the Shalom Bayesh here? And yet we're going to see an incredible lesson. The Pasuk says, Hashem says I want you to be a holy people. I do not want you to eat the trefa. Now a trefa animal, a trefa animal is an animal that was torn apart by a predatory animal. So again, a treif is an animal that was killed by another animal and therefore died without shrit or died without ritual slaughter. Okay, so the Torah tells me, if you go ahead, let's say you have a, just imagine the scene. I have a flock of sheep. I come out to my flock one day. And what happens? A wolf came along, killed one of the sheep. The dead sheep is sitting right there or laying right there. The Torah tells me, you can't eat it. Okay, fine. I understand. Straightforward. Allah didn't have shrit, I can't eat it. But then the Torah goes on. It says, What should you do with the dead sheep? You should throw it to the dog. Throw it to the dog. And the commentaries are all bothered by the same basic question, which is, I don't understand. I could do with it whatever I want. I just can't eat it. So I could go ahead and destroy it, throw it away. I could give it to a Gentile who's permitted to consume it, or I could feed it to my dogs. But why does the Torah have to get involved? Meaning the Icarus, the major point over here is you can't eat it because it died without ritual slaughter. Why does it have to say you give it to the dog? And that that's it came to me by the Das Balitosis, the Tosafists in their commentary on this Pasik, say something dramatically amazing. La tashlichun Tashlikhun also doesn't simply mean give it to a dog, but rather it means give it to the dog. What's the dog? And listen to this. The Dasakenem says give it to the dog, the sheep dog. You know, when you have a flock of sheep, you often had a dog whose job it was to protect the flock and to chase away any predators. So therefore the Torah is telling me you can't eat the sheep, give the sheep to the sheep dog. Give the sheep to the dog protecting the flock. But one second, why does that make sense? If I have a dead sheep, that means a predator got into the flock. If a predator got into the flock, then who didn't do his job? Who didn't do his job? The sheepdog. The sheepdog didn't do his job. He was asleep on the job. And now the Torah says, ah, but what should you do? Give the sheepdog a good dinner. Give him a good dinner. Give him the carcass, let him have lamb chops. He's going to be happy. Shalom, everything is great. And listen to what the Dasa says. It's true. The sheepdog failed you now. But what about all of the other times? when the sheepdog came through for you? What about all of the other times when the sheepdog fought off the predators? What about all of the scars and the injuries and the wounds that the sheepdog has because of all of the predators it fought off guarding your flock? In the moment of failure for the sheepdog, don't forget all of its past accomplishments. In the moment of failure of the sheepdog, don't forget all of its accomplishments. Give it the lamb chops. Give it the lamb. As, okay, I know you failed now, but thank you for everything you've done before. And what an incredible message in maintaining bias. Because you know what sometimes often happens in marriage? Sometimes, often, depending on your marriage, something happens, there's discord, there's conflict. And what happens? That discord and that conflict becomes the totality of the marriage. When it's not the totality of the marriage, it's one event. I have a fight with my spouse. We have an argument. We have a conflict about something. And it might be a very serious conflict. And sometimes the way the mind works, the way the mind works is, you know, like we shift into a what have you done for me lately mindset. Like I forget, I forget about everything that happened over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, all the beautiful times, all the brachas, all the wonderful things. I don't remember any of that. All I see in front of me is conflict, 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 problem, 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 trespass, transgression. You hurt me, you sinned against me. That's all I see. And the Torah tells us, that when someone you love fails you, you know, I'll tell you something which is going to sound like a little bit of a a downer statement, but it's I think it's one of the most important statements, one of the most important truths for maintaining healthy relationships. If there is one thing you could count on in every single human relationship, it is that the people who love you will fail you. The people who love you will fail you. Now, what does that mean? What that means is it's very simple. Human beings, we're frail. We make mistakes. No one is perfect. So no matter how much your husband loves you, at some point in time, he'll let you down. And no matter how much your wife loves you, at some point, she'll disappoint you. And no matter how much you love your kids or your kids love you, at some point in time, there's some element of disappointment in these relationships. The question is, in that moment of disappointment, in that moment of conflict, what do you see in front of you? When you look at your husband, you look at your wife in that moment of conflict, what do you see? Do you see the present failure? Do you see the present trespass and that's it? the, The entire history has been obliterated? Or am I able to look at this present conflict and failure in context? Right now there's a problem, but I'm not gonna forget all of the good, all of the beautiful things, all of the good times, all of the brachas, all of the accomplishments, all of the positive relationship momentum. Remember when the sheepdog fails me, when the sheepdog fell asleep on the job, right? And allowed a predator into the flock, what do I do? I give him a good dinner. I reward him in his moment of failure for all of the beautiful things he did in the past. If that's how I treat my sheepdog, then imagine how much I have to, how much, what I have to do for my spouse, right? If that's what I have to do for my sheepdog in the moment of failure, remember all of the past accomplishments then it's really in the context of marriage, even in the midst of incredible and overwhelming conflict, don't allow conflict to obliterate years of beautiful, blissful harmony. Don't allow a moment of discord or a moment even of trespass to go ahead and wipe out all of the beautiful marital traction that has taken place up until that, until this point. So step number two to maintaining, to go ahead, I should say in reigning in or properly managing conflict, is to contextualize conflict. The way the brain works is that when conflict occurs, it takes over everything. It's everything. It colors everything is terrible. Everything is horrible. You're terrible. You did this. No. Contextualize conflict. There's a problem but that problem is not the be-all and all of our marriage. We'll figure it out. But I'm not going to allow the present difficulty to obliterate all of the past good. And I'll end off with one last point: with how to manage conflict. There is a there is a beautiful sefer that I quote over here in the in the sheet. The last source that you have on your sheet, a sefer called Sefer Yoatz Shalom, written by one of the one of the senior rabbis at Neri Israel here in Baltimore, of Shragi Neuberger. And he writes, I'm not going to go through the entire piece. I I put it on the sheet so you could definitely look at it on your own. But he writes something very beautiful over here, which I think I I, I wanted to put it as number one. But I decided to leave it as number three because I think it's a good way to close out our time together as well. That if you want shalom bias and you want to manage conflict, work on yourself. You know, I'm not I'm not a therapist, but I have over the years spent a lot of time with couples. And I, I always find it amazing that often a session with a couple dealing with marital issues almost always begins with accusations. Accusations, he did this, she did this, and, and, and that, that might all be true. That might all be true. But if you want to build real shalom bias, I have to become the best version of myself. If I really want a beautiful marriage, the first step or one of the first steps is making sure that I am self-actualizing to the best of my ability. Am I the best version of myself? And the truth is, I'll quote to you sources, but you know this, you know this, right? When you have a spiritually successful day, when you have a beautiful davening, an uplifting davening, or you're learning, right, if you're going to a she'er, or you're learning something on your own. When you feel spiritually uplifted, you are a better person. And I think for most of us, and I speak for myself, when I have a spiritually productive day, I come home, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better son, I'm a better friend, because when I am working on myself, that koach, that energy, ebbs into all of my relations. So Rabbi Neuberger writes in the sefer. He says something amazing. He says we know the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, "Ezohi Gibor, who is strong, who is strong, hakovish es yitzro, one who is able to kovish to conquer his yeter, inclinations." And he points out why doesn't it say, "Ezohi Gibor, who is strong, hakovish es hayeter hara, one who is able to conquer the I any yitzro." And Yitzchel means we all have deficiencies. We all have challenges. And by the way, the fact that we have deficiencies is not a condemnation of man. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us. We say this, Borein nefoshos rabos Nam. Hashem created me with my deficiencies because it is those very deficiencies, ultimately, that allow me to go ahead and self-actualize and work on myself. Do you want to know how to build a blissful marriage? Work on yourself. We so often think, that to build a blissful marriage, you need couples therapy, I know what my wife has to do, what my husband has to do. If I work on becoming the best version of myself, if I am in a good spiritual place, if I feel that I am doing a good job as a servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as a good, pious, however we define that Jew, then you will be a better husband. You will be a better wife. You will be a better partner in a marriage. So if I bring this all together, and with this I'll really conclude, so, what we comes out from our time together tonight is we have to redefine shalom bias. Shalom bias does not mean the absence of conflict because every single marriage from the beginning of time, from adam through the avos, all had some level of conflict. But rather, what shalom bias means is the ability to properly manage conflict. And how do we properly manage conflict? Step number one: find the courage to see out the window. Of the other don't go ahead and always spend life getting everyone else trying to convince everyone else to see through your window But ultimately find the courage to look at the window of the other step number two When you find yourself in the midst of conflict do not allow that conflict to overshadow everything Contextualize the conflict. There's a problem But let me not let me not allow that problem to obliterate all of the good that was there beforehand And step number three to managing conflict is work on yourself. Too often we make Shalom Bayez about the other. I need you to do this, I need this one to do that, I need this one to do... Stop, stop with expectations of everyone else. And instead, plow your energies inward. Make yourself the best version of yourself, self-actualize, find your co develop your potential. And if you become the best version of yourself, then you will bring that greatness to your marriage as well. So let us hope that Emirat Hashem and the Zochos of spending some time together tonight to bolster and to better our marriages. May we be Zolchemirat Hashem to have real Shalom Bayis. You know, wherever there's Shalom Bayis, the Gemara says there's a happy husband, there's a happy wife, and there's a third partner. There's a happy Ribono Shalom who comes and dwells in our homes as well. So let us hope that Amir Hashem we will create the type of marriages that will create beautiful happy homes, Miraz Hashem, beautiful children, and a God who feels privileged to dwell amongst us as well. Thank you so much for inviting me to learn with you, and I wish everyone a wonderful evening.
1: Thank you so much, Silver. We, As I mentioned at the onset, we will open up to questions. If someone has a question, you could, I suppose, unmute yourself and ask the question. I'm gonna start off by saying, You gave a great example of the woman during her marriage who had the conflict during Sheva Brachas. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Rabbi Silber. I'm going to have you pull out another story from your hat or your yarmulke. I'm sure over the years you've had some great stories to tell. Do you have any other stories that illustrate the principles that you brought forward tonight?
0: So, I mean, I I will say that especially the the last principle, I've come to find that a lot of people, a lot of people, sometimes people who are in difficult marriages are very often unhappy with who they are. Not always. Of course, I'm not talking about, God forbid, I want to be clear, I'm also not talking about like toxic or chas abusive situations. I don't mean anything like that. But I mean sometimes when people just can't get traction, I've found that sometimes when people really begin, I, I had... A, I had I, I mean, again, it's a simple story, but a story of 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 a man who was just not connecting with his wife. And amazingly enough, when he began to find the courage to recognize that he was really spiritually underperforming, and from everything from davening to learning, and he began to really put his efforts not into trying to change his wife, but ultimately to develop himself, he created a self confidence, he created a self awareness, and he created a true personalistic happiness. And then he was better ready to engage with his wife and better ready to build a beautiful marriage
1: um if anyone has a question you can post it on the chat or you can uh unmute yourself i want you to know rabbi silver people were texting me during the talk and saying how much they enjoyed the talk so thank you you get this day and age you get instant feedback you don't have to wait until the talk is over you get feedback during the talk itself. so uh if anyone has a question or if someone Um, wants to uh, make a comment, you can post it on the chat or you can unmute yourself right now. I always have another question if no one else does. I'll go ahead with my question here. Um, My question is, you you mentioned that um, people come to you and people go to therapists. What is the difference in your opinion? People, when should one go to their local rabbi? When should one go to their therapist? Should rabbi refer to therapists? Should therapist refer to rabbis? What uh, what's the proper process?
0: So uh, it's a great question. I, I would tell you that I think rabbanim are wonderful, but most rabbis, including myself, don't have formal training. Um, I majored in accounting in college, and uh, and you know went. Uh, I have a master's degree, but it's in education. Not, nothing to do with counseling, um, so w- the way I often view my role is kind of like as an intake um so i'll i 'll meet with someone hear what the issues are sometimes again it's it's relatively straightforward things that can be handled by a of, but you know my general approach is if I feel that there's something much more significant or some type of real underlying issue, I always refer out and and I encourage people you know. Thank God we are, we are we are kind of coming out of this mindset where there's a stigma attached to going to therapy. Therapy is a gift, and therapy is a bracha, and therapy gives so many people an opportunity for happiness and a new lease on life. So like like anything, you know, I, I think every rav has to know what he can do and what he can't do. I always tell people, I I never guarantee solutions. The only thing I can guarantee. Is an open door and an attentive ear that's the only thing i could do if if there's something i have to contribute afterwards i'm happy to but whenever i feel like wow this is something significant i always refer out
1: okay um i know it's late it's after midnight for you rabbi silver yes. i want to thank you for hanging in there with us of course and uh, certainly you comments for those of you who came in late or those of you who have a friend who wanted to hear this year it will be recorded on the website and as we've stated it's my shalom bias b-a-y-i-s my again thank you rabbi silver for staying up late sharing your thoughts with us and thank you all for participating as well
0: my pleasure have a wonderful evening and dr Stoll, and entire community thank you so much for having me
1: thank you